Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and you're all around hiring guru. So if you need help hiring, give me a call. Um, you know, it is absolutely my honor to introduce you to some of the amazing people that I meet through networking. And today I have a very, very special guest that I'm gonna introduce you to. So I'd like to welcome Greg Hakey, retired Navy SEAL and leadership consultant. Greg specializes in strategic planning, leadership and team building, project management and process improvement. Today, we are gonna talk about the importance and why you might wanna consider hiring a veteran. So welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you, Casey. This is great. You know what? You've been great. <laughs> I want to, I always like to start the episode with how we got connected, but I want to go a step further. For sure. Yeah. I want to talk about, let's talk about how we got connected, but then I want to talk about what that connection looks like and what we've done to maximize that connection through our networking. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So how did we get connected? A mutual friend, Adam Connors, he runs his own networking organization and consulting business called NetworkWise. So shout out to Adam. Absolutely. He's just an awesome guy. And uh, I was chatting with him. He and I chat occasionally when we both have space. And he said, uh, I've got someone that I want to introduce you to. I think she'd be beneficial on where you're at in your, your journey. And here we are, we had that connection. I think he made that connection immediately following the phone call that he and I had via email. And then you reached out, I reached out, and then yeah. we got on the phone. And it was, I've got 15 minutes to chat. And that 15 minutes, I think, turned into an hour it was, and 20 minutes. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And I was so glad I didn't have going. anything on the other side yeah, of my schedule. I had some space too. And I'm so grateful for that because it worked out because here we are a few weeks later. I'm here in Dallas and yes. you've just really thrown out the red carpet for myself and it, it's just been an amazing ride. So it's been a busy one. I told you I was going to fill up your dance card. You did. You <laughs> did. Indeed, you did fill up my dance card. I, you know, do really well in the room and speaking with people. And yesterday, uh, at the end of that uh, last networking event, I remember coming up to you and saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm done. done. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done." It was late in the evening. Well, but, and, uh, and and it was amazing because the. Um, the events that kind of arose organically from that too. So we started your day at 7 a.m. yesterday. Yeah. Started yeah. with a big networking group with Success North Dallas. Yeah. Um, got to meet Chris Gronkowski. Yeah. Um, he and, and I briefly spoke. He was kind of the man of the hour that day. Yes. Shout out to him too. He's just a great individual. So got a lot of things going for him from a business perspective. Absolutely. And then um, you met with Jen Colby who drug you to another event. Yes, she did. That was <laughs> impromptu. Um, and Thank you, Jen, if you're listening to this. But yeah, took me to another, and that was a veteran-centric event. There's actually another SEAL there, and he and I connected. And uh, there were some other individuals that are working in a similar space and kind of got to give some feedback and perspective to them on best practices that I've found in my own journey as a consultant, you know, post-military. And then went back to the hotel briefly uh, for about an hour and just tried to decompress and then went to uh, uh, the C-suite event at uh, Network Bar. Absolutely. Yeah. 
and, and more great connections. There were people there that I wasn't expecting to be there that I was so excited to be able to introduce you to, such as Jay Mamie, who was, you know, radio personality and yeah. just and had just ironically had just interviewed two Navy SEALs, one that you know very yeah, well. Yeah, I went through Buds with him. Yeah, what, uh, what is Buds? Uh, basic underwater demolitions, and then there's a slash in there, and it's SEAL training. So it's the selection process behind becoming a SEAL. Is so, that where you ring the bell if you don't make it? If you don't, if well, that's one of the ways you can opt out of uh, being a SEAL. But yes, the vast majority of people self-select, as they say, they they quit. So. But don't they have to ring the bell? Yes, they do. That's okay. part of the process. Okay. Yes. Okay. And how long? How long is that course? How long were you in that? Uh, the buds portion of selections around seven and a half months from start Whoa. to finish. If you get it first time through, there's an indoctrination portion and then there's several phases of training and it, it varies a little bit depending on who is the training officer and maybe there, there are some slight adjustments. So I don't know the exact time frame as I've been out for four years, but generally speaking, it's around seven and a half months from start to finish. And how long were you in? 22 years. That is a long time. Thank you for your service. Oh, it was my pleasure. I feel like I'm the one that got everything out of that Aww. arrangement. You know, it was great. So what does life look like for you after 22 years in the military? There's some mental gymnastics that you go through. I mean, especially for me, I've wanted to be a SEAL since I was very young and uh, came to realize on my last combat deployment that it wasn't uh, serving me in the way that I, I wanted it to anymore from a family perspective in particular. From a career perspective, it was still there. I still had goals. There's still things that mm -hmm. I wanted to do. But my son contacted me while I was on my last combat deployment to Iraq. And we had all the accoutrements, if you will, at that time with modern technology, with Wi-Fi. Wi and so you could talk with the family. And two and a half months into that last deployment, I was FaceTiming with him. And he was just completely inconsolable. Mm -hmm. and. I came to the realization then I was like, I need to, it's time to hang up the spurs and, and do something else. Wow. So, I had not heard that part of your story. No. Yeah. That was really the decision-making process behind that. Cause I was looking towards the next milestone, uh, from a career perspective, which the teams have a very, very regimented, like you do this in order to promote. So gotcha. and it's very clear and defined and there's great mentorship behind it. So, and that's something that I integrate into my leadership practices within organizations is incorporate mentorship. Well, so let's talk about that. So your company is fatal flaw, yep, right? And correct. so how, how do you use what you learned in the military to help corporations and who is your ideal client? My ideal client is a startup that's in late seed or series a and they've got a technically proficient leader probably have like 20 to 30 close colleagues or friends that are involved in their organization and they've been able to be involved in the decision making process pretty much in every single decision for that organization and what it looks like in order to scale and either get acquired or ipo become public or just grow the organization in general to bring their product to market they're not going to be able to be involved in the decision-making process anymore. So what does that look like? Well, I come in and help those companies build good cultural practices because leaders shape the culture of any organization. Mm. And I do that through leadership principles and it allows them to execute on a decentralized leadership framework, allowing them to grow and bring their products to market. So focusing on those and, and those organizations that are, uh, pinpointed towards hyper growth and a high return, if you will. 
Awesome. And I did that with a private organization, actually. Yeah, so tell so, us about that. Yeah, shout out to uh, Vlad Shorich and uh, Biohaven Pharmaceuticals. So uh, just an awesome group of people. I was brought on to that organization when there were 62 people, and it, they asked me, hey, we're growing. We want to keep the culture. And what does that look like? And so I was brought on as a consultant, and then he extended an invitation to me in December of 2019 to come on full-time, and I accepted. It was rather serendipitous because I had been accepted to an executive MBA program at USC, mm. and I said to myself, there's no way I can hustle full-time on clients and also uh, do school full-time. And uh, Cliff Beck told the COO of the company at the time, and I think he's still in that position, gave me some great advice saying, hey, you, right now you've got your military experience as a SEAL, which is great, and you're more marketable if you come into an organization, see what it's legitimately like in the private sector from inside a company, and you'll be able to, uh, you'll have more street credit essentially, like your resume will look better. And, all of those things considered, I took the position, scaled the company from 62 people to 1,200. Not me, of course, just on my own, but there was a great, great team of people. Chris DeLuza, uh, BJ Jones, you know, just like so many people that helped scale that organization and went from 62 to 1,200. And in two and a half years, the company went public, as well as October 31st of this last year, the company got acquired by Pfizer. Wow. So, yeah, and that was quite a ride. So quite a ride as my first trip into the corporate sector post teams from a full-time W-2 employment and uh, couldn't, have, couldn't have worked out better from my perspective. But I took those lessons learned and I've applied it to uh, leaders at all levels is what I call what I do. And uh, this is the 2.0 version of my consulting practice. And uh, it's got a lot of great lessons learned from the teams and some from the private sector that I'm incorporating into uh, other startups to help build out success for them. You know, one of the things that I face as a recruiter is that when I have veterans that are fresh out, especially yeah. if they've had a career in the military, I have a hard time helping them transition into the civilian world. Did you, what did you find when you started looking for your next opportunity when you first came out of the military? Oh gosh. Um, there's a, like I, I'm, I think I may have mentioned earlier, there's a lot of mental gymnastics about mm -hmm. getting out. Um, I think that there's a common misnomer that military people, uh, specifically soft, there's this SEALs, go hunt the bad guys. Mm -hmm. But what SEALs really do is solve dynamic problem sets. Dynamic problems in an incredibly stressful environment, really typically in a time critical situation. So if you want to hire a veteran, you should really, really think about those aspects and put someone in a position where they're not just sitting there doing the bare minimum, especially special operations personnel. They want to have meaningful impacts, make change, be in a fast-paced environment, and be involved, if not run the decision-making process within their scope of influence. And so the disconnect within the private sector of, oh, you're a SEAL, therefore you just hunt the bad guys. You shoot guns. Yeah, it's like you shoot guns and it's like, Yes, but shooting is such a small portion of what SEALs really do. Like that's the dessert, if you will, okay. is going to get the bad guy. But the coming into a situation uh, like my last deployment, dealing with multiple 
uh, units, even just within like the scope of the U.S. military, let alone our international partners mm -hmm. or the partner force nation like the Iraqis, like dealing with those challenges, problem solving them in an incredibly time sensitive nature and just probably one of the most stressful environments on the planet, which is a war zone, let alone in the act of combat, like those skill sets, which like the Boston consulting groups, the Deloitte's, those, those individuals at those organizations are great. And the skills that they have, we have developed in a combat environment. So advocating for myself as well as my community, I think that we do it just a little bit better and probably a little bit faster. You know, and, and I know there's several organizations out there that are helping to tell your story and, all, and at the same time helping, you know, veterans have a soft landing. Um, I shared with you, and I think I've shared on here before, you know, my son transitioned out of the Air Force. Yeah, we did chat about that. Yeah, yeah. and it was horrible. He, the, yeah, I'm not the surprised. lack of resources, and I, and I think this is true across all branches, not just the Air Force. Agreed, yeah. And wanna... he just didn't know where to go and nobody could tell him where to go. For the programs that were available and thank god jen colby again yeah jen just came in and saved him saved so him she saved his sanity and mine too in the process because i didn't know what to do and it's very very helpless when you can't help your kid like totally you felt. agree totally agree yeah. yeah and so what what organizations what support systems what do you know that's out there that might could help somebody today yeah i know a few but first first of all like there's a in our nation, we pay lip service to our best and brightest. I think it's past time that as a people, we really, really put our money where our mouth is and treat veterans within that, with that, within that space of transitioning out of the military, like really, really do take care of them. We're on the end of a 20 year conflict. And what does that, what does that cost look like? Well, we're finding out with the rise of suicides, with veteran homelessness, all sorts of stuff. And that's probably a topic for another, for another podcast. But to go back to your question, within the realm of what services are out there for veterans, within the special operations community, there's a mm -hmm. plethora of services, which is great. Um, and perhaps a discussion for another time about the, the grunt and the average uh, conventional military. What does that look like for them? I'm not sure. But what brought me to Dallas and into the consulting space was an organization called the Honor Foundation, which focuses on transitioning special operations veterans that are getting out and then being released into the wilds yeah, of the private sector, if you will. It. <laughs> so I was brought here to Dallas on one of their treks, which is a three-day trip engaging with local businesses in the, in the area. And I met an amazing woman, Kim Arnold, who mentored me within the consulting space, got me my first client, and essentially proved to me while I was still active, actually, that I could do this as a consultant, has got me my first paid gig. Uh, and I still talk with her to this day. I had din with, dinner with her and her husband at her home uh, just two days ago. And so it's just an amazing arrangement there. And so I have a lot of uh, respect for that. And so, you introduced me to Kim and she yes, is she's amazing. Great. She's and I'm, great. I'm so glad you got to have dinner with her. And isn't her husband a chef or something? He is. He's amazing. Jealous. Just, just a great, just a great <laughs> group of people, really quite an experience to, uh, to dine with them. Um, but then also there's within, within the seal center community, the, the nonprofit that I use every week, and almost every day that helps transitioning veterans is SEAL Future Foundation. That's a oh. SEAL run 
organization that has seals in these pillars as they call them they have a health pillar they have a careers pillar and they have an app and like that that organization advocating for the seal community is incredibly powerful they are just they are active every day helping people out within the seal community so those those two organizations are the ones that i've leaned on the most from a transitioning out of the the teams you know, there's another organization out there that I actually partner with on our veteran success out of Success North Dallas. Um, and I think I introduced you to Daniel Hance, who runs the Catalyst program. I think you did. Okay. I want to make sure we follow up on that connection because they do something similar to the Honor Foundation, but in a different way because they actually drop these special ops guys into um, an executive MBA program mm -hmm. where it's kind of facilitated a little differently than your normal MBA. And so it's like a six to eight week course and it like speeds up the process for them, but it also helps them transition from that military mindset and kind of get the lay of the land in the civilian world before dropping you into those regular classes. Gotcha. And so doing a lot of good there. And um, they've just been very, very helpful with us, um, you know, partnering with us on helping us get this. Well, that's that's why you and I met was because of veteran success. Yes, that's right. That was where it connected. Yeah, because Adam saw me post something on LinkedIn about it. And then he's like, I've got a friend. He's a Navy SEAL. Do you want to meet him? And I'm like, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to give a shout out to uh, USC because they have a master's of business for veterans which gives an MBA equivalent without the leadership courses because they assume, well not assume, but rightfully assume that we have the leadership development within that space. I did not go through that program, but they also have a program called With Your Shield. And oh. it's, uh, it helps transitioning uh, veterans within the USC space as well. So there's there's a couple of wow. programs out there. Okay. But, uh, shout so, out to my alma mater there. <laughs> you know, and I, and I think again, you and I just, and I've just learned about these organizations organically, but when you're first coming out of the military and you're like, eyes are spinning, head spinning, how do you find these organizations? From, so the Honor Foundation, it's widely known within the SEAL community at least, and other special operations community as well. As okay. well. And they have multiple campuses across the country, so you can physically go to a 12-week transitioning program that meets twice a week for that 12-week period and then culminates with a trek to a location. I have participated in two treks. One was to Chicago, and then one was here to the Big D. So. And does the government offer assistance in paying for those? No, that's all private. Wow. There's a transition assistance program, um, which that's what the Navy does. I, I mean, it just falls short. Like from a volume perspective, the, those instructors that are part of the transition assistance program, and that's required for the Navy. It's a week-long course. You have to attend it in order to uh, get out of the military, transition, or retire. Okay. But there's just, there's a flood of people. There's a, over a hundred people in a class easily. And it, it, it goes every week. So you can imagine you've got two to three instructors that do that as their full-time job. Trying to get a high touch point and answer everyone's questions mm -hmm. is near impossible. I mean, they try and do what they can, but they're just overwhelmed. You know. So we need so more yeah. instructors. Agreed. I, I think you would need more instructors, more resources out there. And also, as Ben Franklin says, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So if you start searching out for those things, those resources, you find a lot. And uh, there's a ton of resources out there for veterans. 
specifically for special operations is obviously the, the area that I have my expertise in. So I can't speak to what is all out there from a conventional military perspective. I know that there's stuff out there, but I've engaged in this, the resources that are specific to, to special operations to solve. Sure. I, I do want to go to one area, and I, I feel like I'm okay asking you this because you've spoken on it before publicly. Um, it, but I want to bring this up because it's a real challenge. You know, my dad faced it when he came out of Vietnam, and... I know that the SEAL community is facing it right now, and that's this mental health challenge. Absolutely. And and I believe you told me that there are more Navy SEALs dying by suicide than in combat right now. That's, and I don't have the data behind that. That is what I have been told, and I would not be surprised. Um, the last number that I recall hearing when I was active duty is that we lost roughly 155 SEALs to combat during the war on terror. And we touched on it earlier, what is the cost of 20 years of sustained combat? Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're, we're finding out, um, not just from what was conducted in combat operations, you know, with the death toll there and the wounded, but now that we have largely concluded the war on terror, which is still ongoing in certain areas, but we're seeing suicide rates that are just kind of unacceptable. When you think about there's just like a handful, there's less than 2,000 active duty SEALs. And there's less than just over 10,000 people have successfully completed selection from 1942 to today. Wow. So, and again, those are rough numbers. Don't uh, slam me on the data here, people. If you want the exact numbers, contact Naval Special Warfare Center. I'm <laughs> sure they'll be thrilled to hear that I promoted that. Um, they're going to get a lot of calls, maybe. But uh, when you think about that, like uh, from th since this December till now, we've had five suicides with just within the SEAL community. And I know it's just not the SEALs that are struggling. It's special operations in general. And again, I don't have the exact data in front of you, but the data that I am familiar with is around, and this is, uh, there's a lobbying organization in DC, uh, I, I, Special Operations Association of America, I think is what it's called. And it's run by a Green Beret. Um, perhaps I can connect you after this. Oh, and, that would uh, be awesome. He and I awesome. are connected on LinkedIn. He's a great guy. And I want to say it was somewhere around 90% of all combat operations during the global war on terror, that burden was shouldered by special operations. That's a lot when you think about things over a 20-year span. Mm. And so what does that combat toll look like? Well, we're finding out with alcoholism, with drug abuse, with divorces, with domestic violence, with suicide. And I'm not condoning any of those actions. And I'm saying, let's look at that and see like, okay, what happens when you do have someone that's done 20 to 30 years? And there's the absolutely the hardcore tough operator, if you will, which is the term that special operations people use for themselves as a title. And ex from an exterior perspective is probably saying, I'm fine, I don't need anything. And then from a compartmentalization perspective, it's perfect because like a compartment can only hold so much mm -hmm. and you're just pouring this stress and this water in there and it's just running out everywhere. And so maybe outwardly they feel fine and internally they might be in denial and everyone has a breaking point. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like suicide. It looks like alcoholism. It looks like drug abuse. It looks like domestic violence. And so like we're experiencing that across the SEAL community. And I can only assume that it's happening within the Green Berets, the Rangers, you know, the PJs, the Marine Raiders, you know, the tier one units, you know, 
ground branch, like all of those things, like all of those special operations entities, I imagine that there is some semblance of sustained combat fatigue, even though they are not currently deploying. There's like that residual. Yeah. So that's all those years. that is just my perspective, of course. I'm not a medical professional. I've just experienced it firsthand. Yeah. So and I had my own struggles with PTSD as well. So Well, I can't even imagine. And you know, I, I wanna say that I don't know what I really expected because you're the first Navy SEAL I've ever met, ever. Dallas has a lot. And how could have I not run into them? High population of uh, team guys here in the Big D. That's crazy. You need to come see me. Yeah. <laughs> I've decided I like Navy SEALs. <laughs> so, but I just want to really commend you for how humble you are and how genuine you are. And it's you, you don't... I, you're, you are proud that you're a SEAL, no doubt about it. Thank I can you. see yeah. that. But you don't lead with that. I try not to. It's it's been an important aspect of my life, and it was an organization that I was a part of essentially for my entire adult life up yeah. until the past four years. And you can't it can't not have had an impact on me, either positive or negatively, depending on how you look at it. And I'm I am proud of it. You know, it's something that I I did, and I would I would do over again. And I would do things differently within okay, certain fair. aspects, for sure. Like I would make certain decisions, hindsight being twenty twenty, and look back and be like, oh, should have done this differently for this career decision, this career decision, if you will. But I would absolutely do it again. Okay. I think the burning question we all want to know, is it really as hard to get through the training process as they depict on TV? I think it's harder, honestly. Oh. I remember watching the Discovery Channel class, which I was 236. And so the Discovery Channel followed class 234, which oh, okay. was two classes in front of me. And so some of those guys that got rolled out of that class rolled into my class. And I remember watching that. And that came out shortly after uh, they graduated. And I had just finished BUDS or that portion of selection. I remember watching it and thinking, this makes it look easy. Really? I'm yeah. going to have to go watch that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's an early 2000 rendition of reality TV from a special operations perspective. That's so, so cool. It is interesting. I'm going to have to go watch that. And I know a lot of those people in that, uh, in that, uh, that show, if you Okay. Will. Okay. So, yeah. But, yeah, I think it makes it look easy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you always hear, but it's different coming from somebody who actually went through it, right? Yeah. And so I, I just wanted to ask that question for everyone out there, everyone who's curious. So what, after all those years in the military, I mean, if you had to tell me like two of the most significant lessons you learned that you use in your civilian life, what would those lessons be? Oh, take care of your people. Oh. Take care of your people. Naval Special Warfare, and I've tried to institute this into organizations that I've either been a part of as a full-time employee or as a, as a consultant is that Naval Special Warfare dedicates so much resources to taking care of its people. It's nuts. And a civilian organization or a private sector organization could absolutely do that. It, it doesn't take much. And I'm not trying to say that you're buying loyalty, but with the gestures of support that come with, with monetary investments, people become loyal to an organization because mm -hmm. yeah, like pay goes so far as we both know. Yep. You, you, if you're in a toxic cultural environment Ugh. and you've got the golden handcuffs as so many people talk about, that's only going to work for so long. And then people quietly quit. Yep. They burn out. I mean, there's so much content on LinkedIn about those things. And so it's like, Oh, we'll just pay more, just pay more. It's like, that's not going to work mm -hmm. and invest in your people. Like, 
Naval Special Warfare invests in its people, or at least it did when I was a part of it. And as granted, it's been four years, maybe some things have changed, I'm not sure. But I would, uh, I would imagine that things have not changed all that much. And the when you're an operator, when you're a SEAL, you are treated, I mean, granted, you do an incredibly challenging job. Sure. When you're training, you're working 12, 14 hour days easily, if not more. You are slogging things out. You are carrying heavy loads. You are dealing with complex problem sets. They're mentally and physically taxing. But if there is uh, a case in point, one of my new SEALs when I was in Iraq and he was in a critical position, his father got cancer. Mm. Within 24 hours, he was back home. Oh, wow. We got him on a flight. He was by his father's bedside. He was there for two weeks. Wonderful. Because his head's not in the game when right. you find that stuff out. Uh, I mean, immediately I found out, I was like, get him to the helipad. pad. I was like, grab what you need to go and we will take care of the rest. I was like, quick tarmac turnover with your departments and your responsibilities. This is the priority is to get you home as mm -hmm. soon as possible. And that happened. And the entire